0: Most of the time, during my introduction, I'll tell you about a series that we're in, that we're partaking of on Sunday mornings. And today I use that time to tell you we're not in a series today. We kind of ended the journey series, and we've kind of had a couple of, uh, from preaching perspective, kind of an interruptive, not a negative interruptive thing, but just something that is, sort of leaves us with this one Sunday where there's not enough time to do a series So I'm going to do what I call a one-hit wonder, and I don't know if it'll be wonderful or not, but this year our theme at Northside for the year is growing in grace. And so when I have these occasions where I just think, I want to circle back to grace for just one Sunday, and although it's interspersed throughout our entire year, I really want to focus in on an element or two or three as we go through this year of what grace looks like in a practical level, we understand it theologically that grace is uh, god 's unmerited favor. Someone once used the acrostic that grace stands for god 's riches at christ 's expense, which I think that 's great, and if I get to give proper credit, I would, but theologically, we understand that. what about practically and that 's what we 're going to focus a little bit we 're doing that on Sunday nights as well if you 're so inclined we 're looking at some practical stories of how God did that. But we're going to look at Paul's story today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as Brad read for you and, and described for you, gave you a lot of context. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, about verses 8 through 10, so you can turn there or scroll there and um, we'll kind of anchor down there. We'll have some other references, but that's going to be our key text this morning. Throughout, uh, uh, concerning the growing in grace theme throughout the year, we've been having these monthly challenges where I challenge you to practice grace. Grace is not just for the receiving. We're very good at receiving grace and understanding that we all need it. uh, But we can also show that to other people. And so each month I'm giving you a challenge. Uh, It's up to you whether or not you actually do anything with that. I think, however, grace unused is not very useful. That's why God poured out his grace to us. For a purpose, and in April we are talking about being a blessing, and what that means is, I want you to use your time, your talents, your treasure, whatever ways God's blessed you to bless another person or ministry. So I'll give you some some practical suggestions. Um, you could donate some canned goods to the soup kitchen. There are a couple of of buckets uh, on each entrance. You could just bring a sack of those. You and your family. Uh, could bring those, and that would be a blessing to the soup kitchen ministry. Also in the foyer there on each side are some bins which uh, help support Simple House, which is an outreach uh, that we've been a part of and partnering with. Uh, they reach out to homeless and people who are poor or working poor, and they provide them with very practical, basic necessities like food, food, toiletries, clothing, etc. There's always a constant need for that, and so you could bring uh, something. I always need toilet paper and toothbrushes and toothpaste. Uh, They have a list uh, usually, and you can bring something with that. Uh, You could bless somebody with your time uh, every week. Faithfully, uh, the Celebrate Recovery team has been meeting in the multipurpose room and reaching out to people with hurts and habits and hang-ups. Some of those people are a part of our family, and some of those people come from outside the family. But it's an outreach kind of ministry. And they've said many times uh, just to have the presence of people, whether they're greeting or helping prepare something or helping with child care. There are very simple things you could do for a week or two, if you'd be so inclined, that would be a great blessing to them. Uh, you could take the... Uh, uh, girls at Carpenter Place, uh, go and have lunch with them. Um, I understand they're big fans of Chick-fil-A, so go there, take a nugget tray, invite the preacher along, whatever you want to do. That'd be awesome. Um, but this doesn't necessarily just have to do with those four ministries. Those are just some some places to start. Uh, the missions Sunday is coming up next Sunday. There will be opportunities. I was thinking this morning as I watched Alex, you know, it would be cool we could uh, could do something to bless them. I mean, they've really started a church from scratch and have just done phenomenal job of making disciples. Very proud of them and their work. Well, we could show them. I don't know what that looks like necessarily, but uh, maybe you do. Uh, perhaps you could spend the rest of April writing encouraging notes or emails or text messages. I don't know. Just come up with a way that you could be a blessing, and I really hope that you'll consider that for your. Not just you, but maybe your family or your small group or a group of friends. However it looks, work together to be a blessing, to be reminded not just that we're receivers of God's grace, but we're supposed to be vessels of it as well. Okay, you're in Second Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, verses 8 through 10 is going to be on the screen here in just a minute. Brad did a good job of giving you plenty of context, so I'm going to skip that part of the sermon. But let me start by reading in verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Um, He goes on. This is the part that we can read together. I've highlighted the words that I'd like you to read. Uh, Verses 8 through 10, three times I with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness and insult. And hardship and persecutions And calamities For when I am weak Then I am strong May we focus on These words that Paul said uh, As we Think about what he said I want to kind of back up Just for a second into chapter 11 And Look Starting in verse 22 Paul's As Brad mentioned, the super apostles, some of the false teachers, people that he was struggling with. Paul is really just in the struggle here with who he is and who they think he is. And as part of that, he sort of lists out his credentials, his bona fides, if you will. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. I'm not sure if you've ever had a tragedy in your life, a a loss, Something that was just maybe blindsided you. Maybe you saw coming, but it was just a life upending ordeal. I pray, I pray that in the midst of that moment, some well-meaning but misguided soul did not give to you some very false doctrine. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes in the midst of those upending, life-turning moments, some well-meaning but misguided soul will say to you, "Oh." You know, God never gives us more than we can handle. You know, that sounds right, maybe, but it is just way, way wrong. That's nowhere in the pages of Scripture. No, in fact, sometimes you get more than you can handle. If you were to look at Paul... After he just made his list of being beaten and stoned and persecuted and shipwrecked and, and, and testified against and lied about and, and, and questioned over everything he's been through. If you looked at him square in the eye and said, now, Paul, Paul never give, uh, God never gives you more than you can handle. I think he would laugh. I think he would. I think he would laugh and just fall down because that is just ridiculous. Did God give Paul more than he could handle? He did. He absolutely did. Why did he do that? Well, we're going to talk about that. But may you not ever utter the words God never gives you more than you can handle. You say, "Well, I think that's in there somewhere. It says well, it's it's usually a misquote of 1 Corinthians chapter 10:13. If you want to turn there, probably ought to just so we can get square on it. 1 Corinthians 10:13. Paul, again writing to the church, he says, so if you think you are standing firm, as verse 12, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You need to understand that he's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about temptations. He is not talking about trials and difficulties and, and uh, the stuff of life. In fact, Jesus was very clear that the world will hate you as it hated me. When you follow me, the world will hate you. You're going to have some rough stuff. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Can we say that together? In this world, you will have trouble. Uh, Jesus was not kidding when he said that. Now, I realize it's popular to say that God will not give you more than you can handle. And if you'll just do what he says, he'll just bless you and bless you and bless you. And every day will be better than the last. But that is not always the case. As Paul would argue, he had suffered a great deal. Here's my estimation on this. God will very likely give you more than you can handle. He will never give you more than he can handle. And so when you are going through some of the stuff, and maybe it was as bad as Paul, but I doubt it. I mean, I know you're going through some bad stuff, but I'm pretty sure nobody in here has been beaten with with the rod 40 lashes minus one because they considered 40 lashes to be the point of death. And, And that and Paul endured three times. And when you go through bad things... It may be more than you can handle, and that may be for a reason so that he can handle it. It is arrogance and pride to say, you know, no, no, God, I am going through some stuff here, but, but I, I know I got to handle it. Everybody's got their cross to bear. Listen, this is a, a misuse of Scripture. Sometimes you get more than you can handle. Turn with me to Psalm 34. Read an Old Testament scripture, a teaching which Jesus would have been very familiar. Psalm 34. We're not going to look at the entire psalm, but it's a good one. We're going to look at just verses 17, 18, and 19. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit now, now, listen to me. Look what he said there. It didn't say the Lord mends the breaking hearts of the broken heart. It says the Lord is close to the broken hearted. The Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit it Didn't say it keeps them from being crushed. A righteous man, verse 19, may have many troubles. We just back that up because in the, in the little, you know, construction equipment of your mind, do, do, do. You need to hear that again. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord, but the Lord delivers them from, delivers him from them all. The purpose of God letting you have more than you can handle is precisely that. So you realize that you can't handle it, that you need him. To handle it. Of course, the greatest example, of course, being your sin. Uh, You can cover it up, you can think it's okay, you can wink and think it's cute and funny, but it has never been okay with God for your sin. And worse yet, you can't do anything about it. You are powerless of yourself to do anything about your own sin, except repent of it. But repenting of it doesn't remove it. The only way to remove it is by what God did on the cross. Do you understand? You had more than you can handle. And at the cross, he handled it. So may we not forget that sometimes, even with God, you get more than you can handle. Secondly, sometimes you plead with God. We're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is interesting to me. He says, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord. To take it away from me. Now, as Brad said, we don't know what the thorn was, whether it was an ailment of the flesh, whether it was sin, whether it was a person, whether it was even the word there, uh, messenger, angelos, a a demon, one sent by Satan himself. uh, After all the hours of study on what the thorn in the flesh was, the deep theological answer is we don't know. But here's what we do know. It was bad enough that the Apostle Paul, having been all through he had been through... Pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. I know it was bad. He pleaded with the Lord three times. And here's the lesson for us. Sometimes you plead, but God still says no. He pleaded with God to take it away. And he did not. Now. Chris Davis told us on Wednesday night there are three ways which the Lord can answer your prayers, and you've heard this before: yes, no, or wait and And I believe that's true. I want to focus just this morning on the one answer that we all hate to hear: the word no. Teens, I need your help for just a second youth group. Uh, raise your hand if your parents have ever told you no, ah. Raise your hands if they've ever told you no a lot. Good, yes. You know what that means? You have some very loving parents. Just because your parents tell you no does not mean they stop loving you. In fact, it actually shows the proof of their love. It's the parents who don't love their children who will let them do anything and everything to their own destruction. But if your parents love you enough to put guardrails in your life and use the word No, judiciously, they're showing that they love you because they're trying to keep you from the things that they went through. They're trying to keep you from the path that they watched somebody else go down. They really want what's best for you. But you know how they do that? They do that by saying no. When Tyler was two or three years old, I got really concerned because there was this phase of life when all I would say to Tyler was, Tyler, no. Tyler, no. Tyler, no! I was worried he was going to think his name was Tyler no. Because in that phase of life, it was about teaching him what his boundaries were. Because he couldn't run out in the street because there was danger there. Because he couldn't stick the knife in. In the outlet because there was danger there because he couldn't get under the sink and into the chemicals because there was danger there. And when God tells you no to a much greater level, you need to understand that often, always he does because he loves you. Let me ask the rest of you a question, a tough question. By a show of hands, how many of you. Has God ever told no? If he has told you no, you are in good company. Because even righteous, God-fearing people, a man after God's own heart, in fact, by the name of David, committed a sin that was terrible and awful. And as a result of that sin came forth a child. The child got very sick. In Second Samuel chapter 12, it says he pleaded with God. He pleaded with God. As you can imagine, only a parent would who has a very sick child. And how they plead and pour out their selves. It wasn't the child's fault. It wasn't what they did. It was, you know, please, God, please. And he begged God and he fasted before the Lord and he prayed. And he poured himself out and he didn't need a single thing. Because he was pouring out himself to the Lord. And the Lord still said no. God's own son in Luke chapter 22 about verse 40. We're recorded. He's in the garden. He's on his knees praying with everything he's got and everything he has. It's pouring from his pores like blood. Please God. Please not the cross. Please let this cup pass from me. And yet not what I will but what you will. And God said no. If God tells you no, can I tell you this morning that you're in very good company. That he tells us no. And we need not think that he does not care. In fact, quite the opposite. According to the great theologian Garth Brooks, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Can we look back in our lives, those of you who have been Christian more than 20 years, and think of the things you've asked for and begged for and pleaded with God for, and God told you, no, I can. Oh, I know there have been some things that I asked God, and I, I thought I was doing what was right, and yet God still said no. In Matthew 5, 37, Jesus is talking about a practice that the Jews had of doing oaths, and the problem was that they would kind of level it and say, "This at this point, you have to keep your word. At this point, it's not really that important. It's a big ordeal. Jesus said, all you need to simply do is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I'm going to get into all that, but just to say that God says both yes and no, and sometimes wait. But whatever his answer is, it is always, it is always the right answer. Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer, which is just great. And one of the quotes he has in there is this. I wanted to read it to get it straight. He says, we can be sure that our prayers are answered precisely in the way that we would want them to be answered if we Know everything that God knows, if we know everything God knows, we trust that He will answer our prayers precisely in the way that they should be. So sometimes you get more than you can handle. Sometimes you plead and you beg God and God says no. And sometimes you feel weak and you feel powerless. In second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 and 10 he says this my but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power this is the lord's power is made perfect in weakness in other words in your power paul therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses says paul so that christ's power may rest on me that is why for christ's sake i I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God used a lowly, weak shepherd boy and not Israel's professional trained soldiers to take down the giants. God used a poor Teenage virgin to bring forth a man, a boy who would grow into a man and change the world to bring forth his only son. God used an ordinary, uneducated men that we call apostles, but that they just knew as tax collectors and fishermen and everyday folks. And he used them to change the world. Why did God use the lowly and the weak things of the world to shame the wise? Why did God use the things that no one recognized, that no one saw coming, that, that no one would have expected? Because when he uses the powerless to defeat the powerful, it is evident clearly where the power comes from. When he uses the powerless to defeat the powerful, it is evident where the power truly comes from. If God uses the powerful to defeat the powerful, the powerful might think they have some sort of power. Or that they have anything at all to do with it. And sometimes God you need you in a weak and powerless position to do amazing things for Him. I, I loved the brother of mine that you know and his here this morning wrote this post yesterday on Facebook. The older I get, the more I know where my strength comes from. When I was much younger, I used to think that I was able to do anything and everything on my own. And now that I'm older in years, I realize that only by the strength of the Lord my God am I capable of accomplishing anything. Yes, I am capable of accomplishing things only because I have trusted the Lord first. I lean heavily on Psalm 23's Truth and Promises, The promises to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. Jesus has brought me there. He's led me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I am calmed in my fears because he is with me. His rod and staff comfort me. And I am being followed all the days of my life by goodness and mercy. It is my heart and my prayer that those that I love know this awesome peace and strength. And the only way to be in this awesome peace and strength is to be in Jesus. He gets it. He understands it. That's a good example. It is not about our power at all. Turn to Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Acts four thirteen. The apostles are beginning this new endeavor of the kingdom. Spreading it from Jerusalem and around the world. And they've been brought before the Sanhedrin because of what they've been up to. And Peter preaches to them. And he says, the stone you builders rejected has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, here's their reaction. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that. They understood that the power is not Peter and John. Even if they were great speakers or powerful orators, the power was not within them. These were ordinary, uneducated guys, but they had a faith in one who was extraordinary. And he, working through them, would change the world. May we not forget. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says this before he gets to our key text, but I think the two go hand in hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed persecuted, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. When you feel helpless, perfect. When you feel weak, good. God's got you in the right position where he's going to use you to show his power and his strength and his might and certainly his grace, as he did with Paul. May we not forget that sometimes you get more than you can handle. The reason being so that he can handle it. And sometimes. Sometimes you plead with God. And he says, no. And you can trust his answer is always right. And sometimes you feel weak and powerless so that God's strength and the strength of Jesus Christ, his only son, can be more clearly seen. That no one will mistake the difference between the power and the vessel that the power is poured into. May we not forget. So my final question for you is this. Will you let him be enough? It's time to stop saying to God, God, I got this. God, you worry with the rest of the universe and everything else. I've got this. Don't worry about me. Instead, it's time to take a knee and say to God, God, you've got to get this. God, you've got to handle this. It's bigger than me. It's stronger than me. I need you. Tonight, this morning, I want to tell you that your sin separates you from that God And unless you repent and turn to Jesus Christ, you can't do anything to fix it. You're heading toward a train wreck, eternally speaking. He's the only remedy, the only name, as Peter said. If you're ready to stop being so proud, if you're ready to give up yourself, if you're ready to let go and let God and begin let him handling your eternal problem and your everyday problem, I want to invite you to do that this morning. And if you've turned to Christ, but you've been trying to carry a lot of the load yourself, you've been trying to take it on, you think it's all about what you bring to the table, in a gentle way, I need to tell you, you need to repent. He's brought you to where you are so that you might realize it's about his strength and his power, not your own. This morning, if you have a need, I'd like to invite you to come. Our shepherds will pray with you and for you and help you and bring you back to Jesus. That's what it's all about if whatever your need might be please come as together we stand in sing